We are in a, a series called Spirit Is that just about three weeks, next week we'll wrap this up and then kind of jump into the fruit of the spirit throughout the summer. I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like, at least maybe where I'm at in life right now, is I feel like I've been hearing more and more about this rise of like personality tests, right? Whether it's Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, which character from The Office are you? Like there's just so many different tests, right? A couple of years ago, I was working, uh, one of my friends was working here with me, and we, we kept getting distracted. I'm an easily distracted person. This week as I prepped was uh, proof of that. But I get easily distracted. And so we were talking, we are working together. I'm like, you think we have ADD? Maybe we have ADD. And so I called Sarah and I was on the phone with Sarah. I'm like, Sarah, I wonder if I have ADD. And so I Google this online test to see if you have ADD. And I'm taking this test, and this is no lie. Halfway through the test, I'm like, I'm not finishing this thing. And I get off the ADD test. I can't finish the ADD test to figure out if I have ADD. What's interesting about all these tests, whether it's the Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, whatever it is that we're figuring out about ourselves, is we have this deep desire as people to, to, to find out our identity, to know who we are, to have an identity that is secure, that for all of us, no matter who you are, what age you are, we, we, all of us, we want security and we want identity. We want to be secure and we want to know who we are. And that shows up in a thousand different ways in our culture. We all know this to be true, right? Isn't that what we all long for? Security and identity. Uh, just this past week, since even our last uh, message online last week, uh, one of the theological pastoral giants of our time, Tim Keller, uh, has passed away. And he said this, we've read this before, I just read this at a wedding a month ago. But he says this, he says, to be loved, there you go, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved, that's our, that's our greatest fear. But to be fully known, to be secure, to have identity and truly loved, he says that's a lot like being loved like God. That's what we all long for. What I want to do today is I, I want to propose to you that, that as, as we look into this, this understanding of the Spirit, as we go into this series about the Spirit, and we, we understand the Spirit at a deeper level, that one of the, the benefits of understanding and keeping in step with and walking with the Spirit is just that. It's security. It's identity. These spiritual benefits security and identity. But if we're honest, depending upon where we're coming from, understanding the spirit can be hard, right? It's why, it's why we're talking about him. I talked to a lady at one of our services uh, not too long ago. We went through God is, Jesus is, now we're doing spirit is. And she's like, God, makes sense. Creator, like God, I could get my head around that. She goes, Jesus, that's cool. Jesus makes a lot of sense. We got the gospels. But she goes, what is up with this Holy Spirit? She kind of told me a little bit about her story. Dan said this last week, but some of us, we can either just ignore the Spirit altogether. You know, we kind of have the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. And for some of us, we can kind of obsess with maybe this spiritual experience of itself. The scripture shows us that the Spirit always testifies, points to Jesus. And sometimes we could be becoming obsessed with certain facets of the, the Spirit. Barna did a survey. They said this, 60% of Americans who regularly attend church, this may be you, they say that there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit, that he's just a symbol of God's power, presence, and purity. Now, you may not say that. You may be like, no, 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 I, be I believe in the Holy Spirit. He's third part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's real. But practically, you may identify with that, right? 
And so today what we want to do is I want to I want to give some language to some things for us today. You think about that feeling when there's a word that you just can't you can't grab a word and someone gives you a word like are you trying to say this? You're like, "Yes, yes, that's that's what I mean." Maybe you experience something, you feel something and someone puts a word to that and you're like, "That's it." My hope is that we could do that today. My hope today in our in our time is that that we can put some language about what the Holy Spirit does. That we put some language around what he does, specifically in our salvation when we get saved. That we put some language around study, about, around what he does so we can better understand who he is. If we understand what the Spirit does, we'll better understand who he is and we can grow in our understanding of who he is. And I believe that as, as we have a deeper sense of the security and identity in our relationship with Jesus as we understand this. Security in the sense that in our relationship with Jesus and the way that we relate to God, that the Spirit has so much to do with this and this relationship is this hot, cold, on-off, like see how I'm feeling type of relationship, but it's secured in a spiritual sense that we might not always feel. An identity in the sense that when we understand what has happened and what is happening in us and through us spiritually, The Spirit changes how we see ourselves, how we see our relationship to one another, and how we see our relationship with God. Now, today we are going to be kind of cruising all through the New Testament. Paul writes these letters to the churches, and the Spirit has has come at the day of Pentecost in uh, in the first couple chapters of Acts. And the Spirit comes, and what Paul is doing in a lot of his letters is he's instructing them on how the gospel of Jesus applies to our lives, how this plays out. And so through many of his letters, he talks about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's role. And so we're going to be kind of cruising all through the New Testament uh, today as we kind of give language to some of these words, give language to what is happening within us. I would challenge you, we have this online or in person, uh, pick up one of our study guides. We do this with every Adam and his team, do this with every one of our uh, series that we go through. We do a study guide, you can kind of follow along. And these words that we're gonna take a look at today are in there among with many other words that that we see as we talk about the Holy Spirit. I'd encourage you to grab that. But I wanna tell you about this. I, I always need a picture to kind of keep circling back to to keep you with me. I want you to think about this. The shoelace race of 98. The shoelace race of 98. Now, this could be more epic, but it's just a simple picture. When I was a kid, I was learning how to tie my shoes, and I don't remember how old you are to you tie your shoes. I'm assuming I was seven, so it was a 98. But I remember I learned how to tie my shoes, and my brothers were all older. My one brother was 12 years or so older than me, and I was learning how to tie my shoes, and he, he, was, he knew how to tie his shoes at this point, and, uh, you know, being 20 and all. But we, we started, he started racing me. And I, we started racing on how we could tie our shoes. And I remember sitting in the, we were on the left, you're looking at the church, the left side of the church. And I don't know if it was Christmas Eve or something, I wasn't paying attention. But we were racing. We were tying our shoelaces, just racing, right? And I still, to this day, when I put my shoes on, now usually I wear slip-ons now because I don't like to bend over for too long. But, but when I tie my shoes, I, maybe we all do this, I always tie my shoes as fast as I can. Right? I time as fast as I can. Now, as we go through these words today, I want to give us a picture to keep circling back to. Because I don't want to just give you a list of words. But as we talk about the way that the Holy Spirit secures us and gives us identity, it's all these things that happen at our moment of being saved at once. These things all happen at, at once. I want you to think about a, a shoelace, right? 
Here's a shoelace I found on the world wide web. And you think about our, our being saved, our salvation, the moment that we say yes to Jesus, that we give our lives to Christ. Picture that as this shoelace. That Jesus has died for us, he's bled for us, he's given us a life for us, and picture this shoelace. And in the moment we get saved, all these things happen. Spiritually, all these things happen that we may not always be aware of, but they happen. And what I want to do is give language to this. And what happens is the Holy Spirit ties the knot. That this, this shoelace, our salvation, our being saved, it's one thing. But the Holy Spirit is the one who ties the knot. And in the tying of this knot, there's all these different things that happen. There's this bunny ear and this bunny ear and this cross is here and you got this line. But it's all one thing. It's all one thing and all these different events that happen in the moment of salvation play together and tie together. And if you're really saved, maybe it's a double knot, right? But I want to keep circling back to this picture because it's the Holy Spirit who ties the knot. And there's these different words I want to look at, give language to what happens within us spiritually and in doing so that we might be secure in our relationship with Jesus and that we might more clearly see who we are in our relationship with Jesus. So we are going to be cruising through the New Testament, but for the sake of today, the first word that we see is regeneration. The Spirit is the breath of our spiritual life. In John chapter 3, Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious ruler. He's like a, he's one of the Pharisees. He's a religious ruler and he comes to Jesus at night because he has some questions. And we see this in John chapter 3. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Right? He like knows there's something about Jesus. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We hear this language often, got to be born again. He goes on to say, then this is Nicodemus, how can someone be born again if they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. You're like, Nicodemus, hold on, man. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Nicodemus was a religious ruler. He was looking good. He had the boxes checked. He had an admirable life, I'm sure, right? He was an upstanding Jewish ruling citizen. But what Jesus is saying and what we see time and time again throughout the gospel, as Paul even unpacks this for the churches, is that apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. We are dead. And what Jesus has come to give us is life in life abundant. He doesn't come to remodel our lives. He doesn't come just to show us a better way to live so that we can kind of figure out that stuff. He doesn't come to give us tips, but he comes to make dead people alive. Scripture teaches that we are not tainted in our sin, but we are dead. Look at Titus 3.5. You know, we go to Titus very often. He says, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness. You, the, we say this all the time, the good stuff you do, it's important. It is very important to serve our neighbor and to honor Christ and to keep in step with Jesus. All important, but it's not what ties the knot. 
It's not what saves us. What saves us is the work of Jesus on the cross, and that is applied to us through the Spirit. It's not our works, but it's according to His own mercy by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that applies the work of Christ to our lives. Jesus paid for sin on the cross nailed our sin to the cross. Sin has been dealt with, laid in the grave, and Jesus, by the power of God's Spirit, raised Jesus to life. And when we say, yes, I identify with Christ, I believe Jesus, I acknowledge my sin, I want life in Him, how does that apply to us? It's through the Spirit. The Spirit ties the knot. And this new life that Jesus has purchased for us comes to us through the Father. What Paul writes to the Corinthians is if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. Apart from Christ, we are dead. And the Spirit is the one who gives us life. That We are made new spiritually. You may not always feel this way, but when we acknowledge that this reality is going on inside of us, it changes the way we see ourselves. Because Paul calls us to live in the newness of life that the Spirit has applied to us. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit. I love, this is a little theological, but I, I love the way this guy, David Gardner, uh, spells this out. He says, no one enjoys the benefits of Christ's saving life, death, and resurrection apart from the Holy Spirit. He is the vital bonding agent, the glue of the gospel, securing sinners immediately and permanently to Christ. The Spirit applies to the church what Christ has accomplished for the church. He says, salvation, our saving, our our shoelace is purposed by the Father, accomplished by Jesus at the cross, and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit's agency in salvation, all that Christ has accomplished brings no value to us. Our salvation is in Christ alone. Our salvation is by the Spirit alone. The Spirit is the one that ties the knot, and He makes dead people alive. Second word I want us to look at as we kind of keep swinging back to this shoelace. I love this, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can write it this way. That the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, makes my body God's new address. That the Holy Spirit makes my body this five foot seven pure muscle God's new address. I love these these pictures that Christ gives us, these pictures that we see through Scripture that secure our identity in our hearts and minds. Think about our relationship with God in the book of Genesis. Go back, let's get back to page one. That God creates, that God creates, and what, what God wants is to be present with his creation, to be present with his people. We see God walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, that we see heaven and earth overlap. That God's space and our space overlap together. And God is present with his people. Think about this as as sacred space. Holy ground where heaven and earth come and meet together. But what we see is that sin enters the picture. Now God, we are separated from God because of our sin. That the sin has damaged, distorted, it has killed, it has separated us from God. In the Old Testament, 
we see God's presence showing up in a number of different powerful ways. We see God's presence show up as fire leading the people of Israel, showing up as smoke during the day. We, you, you can't even touch the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. You will die because of the glory and the presence of God. It would be like touching the sun. You just can't dwell in his presence because of his holiness, because we are sinful. And in the book of Leviticus, it's where most of us stop when we're reading our yearly Bible plan. In the book of Leviticus, it's, it's 859 verses of how we can have relationship with God, about how we can deal with our sin and our impurity and that someone needs to be sacrificed, namely animals, so that we can be in God's presence because he's holy. And if you read Leviticus 1.1, it says, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to Moses from the tent. But 859 verses later, we see in Numbers chapter 1, the next, uh, the next book, that the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting. That all these things, all these laws, rituals, regulations made it so that God, a holy God, could be present with his people. And this was only a shadow of what was going to come, that Jesus would come and be the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate atonement, ultimately dealing with our sin. Jesus dies on that cross. He pays the price. He deals with the sin problem. And in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a curtain that separated God's presence from the priest and from the holy of holies from the priest. And when Jesus died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom that now God's presence could dwell with his people. And in the book of Acts, the spirit shows up. And now the presence of God is not off in a temple somewhere. God's presence is not over there somewhere, some magical place that we have to go and find. But God's spirit, the spirit of God dwells within his people. The sacred space is now within you if you are a believer. Don't believe me? Look at 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And that flies in the face of everything in our culture. You are not your own. If you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to Christ. The Spirit of God lives in you. You don't have to go to a temple to find God. He is in you if you're a follower of Jesus. Why? Because you were bought with a price. He doesn't live in sin. No, you have been made pure because of the cross. And now the Spirit can dwell in you. Just as all the, the blood of the sacrifices purified the people so they could dwell with God, Jesus has purified you so that his spirit might dwell in us. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I heard a pastor talking this week so often as we talk about honoring God with our bodies, we almost always talk about eating healthy and not smoking. Right? Like your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, so don't vape. Listen. Take care of your body. Right? Like there... That is there. Like, like take care of it by his temple, Holy Spirit, absolutely. He says, honor God with your bodies. If I see myself, if I, if I identify, if I see myself as the dwelling place of God's spirit, I want to honor God with my temple. That's more than just eating salad. But that's living in a manner where I see the weight of who God has made me and I live in worshipful response in every area of life. That in my sexuality, this, this, this is a temple. How do I honor God through my sexuality? In my work, this is a temple. How do I honor God in my work? God is dwelling with me. 
First John says, this is how we know that we live in him and that he lives in us, that he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Do you see the security in this? That if we are in the Lord and if the Lord is in us, where does it separate? And we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Love the way that Pastor Bob says it. If you know Pastor Bob, he says, I become an Uber for the Holy Spirit. Pastor Bob just says, everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit goes. When he walks into a hospital room to visit with someone, the Holy Spirit comes. Because he is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are temples of the spirit that changes the way we see ourselves. If God's presence dwelt off in a temple, or if God's presence was just in the church building, we'd have to go and find him. Yet when Jesus tells us to go, the Great Commission, he tells us to go. He will send his spirit. He says, it's better that I leave that I might send the spirit, that the spirit would dwell in us. So when he says go, he's not saying, go tell them to go to church. He says, take, take my presence to them. Because the spirit dwells within you. As we keep tying this knot, we see all the different facets of this knot. We see regeneration and indwelling. Well, look at this word baptism. By the Spirit, I am part of God's family. Now, real, real quickly, real quickly, don't, don't confuse this with water baptism. We, we just celebrated baptism. Seven people entered the waters of baptism, and in their baptism, they identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That baptism is this picture of identifying with the work of Christ. That we're saying, I am in. So we're being baptized into uh, our salvation. This picture of our salvation. And this is the, the baptism, this is different, right? For, for, for some, and we wouldn't believe this. For some, we believe that they would believe that the baptism of the Spirit is a separate event that happens. And there's certain miraculous gifts to prove that that has happened. That's not where we would land. We would say this. Look at in 1 Corinthians, we see this. For we were all baptized by one Spirit. So as to form one body. This is the church, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, if the Spirit dwells within you, has regenerated you, has brought you to life. I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we've been baptized, not into water, but we've been baptized by the Spirit to make one body, one church, whether Jew, Gentile, slave, or free. We probably don't catch the weight of what that means. The people of God were the Jews. We are the people of God, no one else. And now Jews, Gentiles, the Spirit has come, made himself available to all, slave, free. We were all given one Spirit to drink. We are baptized. This, this idea of the baptism of the Spirit is this, this picture of unity, this picture of family, that we are one because we've been baptized into the Spirit. The best analogy I could think of is it's, it's Memorial Day weekend. And I, I love World War II history. And sometimes you hear this phrase, baptized by fire, right? And you think about two soldiers who've been in war that they have this experience together. Two men who didn't know each other experienced this fire of war together. 
and it didn't matter if the man next to you was tall, short, black, white, like Nickelback, didn't like Nickelback, that you had this experience together and now you had this mutual suffering, this identification, this experience together. You're baptized by fire and now you are bonded in a unique way. For followers of Jesus, it's not an experience that bonds us, but it's the Holy Spirit. His indwelling in us, his regeneration, his presence with us. He has baptized us and now we are one family. And Romans 8 says, we cry out, Abba, Father. We are his children. We together have been baptized into his spirit. We are now the family of God. But family can be interesting, right? It can be hard, painful, joyful, annoying. But regardless of the relationship, we're still family. And in our culture, we find our identity in all kinds of ways, whether you're an American, Democrat, Republican, whether we're somewhere in the income bracket. Maybe it's my personality type, my education, my upbringing, my marital status. These are the things that identify us, right? But what Paul is saying is it's not your Judaism, your Gentileness, or your, your status as slave or free that makes you who you are, but you are in Christ. If you've been baptized by his spirit, you are part of the family. And this is your primary identity. Your primary identity because the spirit has made us one. And if you think about these last couple years, I know that this has been present throughout all of human history. But these last couple years has just been wild as we think about how we identify ourselves, how we relate to one another. That oftentimes we are more, we, we feel like we're baptized into politics or baptized into ideology or baptized into some Facebook agreement conversation. And Satan would love nothing more than to divide his church, to defi- divide the church of Christ. But in the book of John, he says, greater who is, is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And the one who is in us is the spirit and he has made us one. We see in the tying of this knot in this moment of salvation, all these things that happen. I am brought from death to life. I become a temple for the Holy Spirit. I, be, I am baptized into the family of God, but that the spirit seals me. I am sealed. The Spirit is the already for what is not yet. The Spirit is the already for what is not yet. In our faith, there are elements that that are here and now. But there are also elements of our faith that are yet not not fully actualized yet. We We have faith in Jesus, but we don't fully see Jesus, right? That Jesus is daily renewing us. But we are not made completely new yet. We won't be until he comes back. That the kingdom of God is at hand. It is breaking into our world, Jesus said, as he began his ministry. But the kingdom of God is not fully realized yet. Heaven is not fully on earth as it will be. One day we live between this already, not yet. And the scriptures tell us that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit in our lives that, that is the, the already for the things that are not yet. And we live in this tension and God doesn't leave us with our fingers crossed hoping it all plays out. But look at what Paul writes uh, multiple times throughout Ephesians. He says, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, 
you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the promise of his glory. In in chapter 4, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Think about this concept of a seal. It's not as applicable. You get the word. doesn't apply as much uh, today. You think about in the Roman world, if there was a king, if there was a ruler, and they wanted to make something theirs, put their put their seal of approval, their ownership, that this, this is mine. They would have a seal. Oftentimes it'd be a ring. I kind of tried to find a picture. Almost this ring and they would stamp it and they would seal it and say, this is mine. That, that's, that's the picture that God, God gives us is seal. And he doesn't give us just a Bible verse. He doesn't give us an experience, but he gives us his own spirit. The spirit of God himself as a mark of approval as we are here on this earth. As we are here, he gives us the seal, and the seal points to the fact that we will be made new one day. That you are, Jesus says, you are already mine, and one day I will be fully with you. You're not going to slip away from me. You're not going to, I'm not going to lose track of you. I'm putting my seal on you. You are mine. There is security in that. There's this, look, look at 2 Corinthians says this. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us. If you are God's, do you think you can wiggle out of his hands? Do you think he's going to lose track of you? That we are his. He puts the spirit in us as a seal of his ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts. I love this. As a deposit. Guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing what's going to come. I was heard, heard a pastor named Vody Boffman. He talks about this, this deposit concept. You think about earnest money, right? Or a down payment on a house. Like, I'm going to buy a house. You're going to make a down payment, right? I'm going to put some money down. That money that I put down in the house is part of the final cost of the house. That Jesus has paid his life in full for us. And while we are here and now figuring out this life, he has given us a down payment, a deposit of his Holy Spirit. Guaranteeing, guaranteeing that we will one day be made new with him. Be made new. That we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to have our fingers crossed. But it, the seal of his approval, this, this down payment of the spirit that he gives us pr- is pointing towards the promise that he will make all things new. I love this. Vody Boffman says, What does God put up as earnest money on our salvation? The Holy Spirit himself. Which means the only way that you can stop being a Christian is if he stops being God. Love that. Honestly, in my, in my time as a father of Jesus and as a pastor, I think I've experienced this myself, that there's many nervous Christians. There's many nervous Christians that you've heard the gospel, you've believed it, you've imperfectly walked with Jesus, navigating just the complexities and up and downs of life, being slowly transformed, wrestling with sin and doubt and stumbling towards Jesus through your life. But, but it's like an insecure girlfriend or boyfriend. They're always scared that one sin or wandery season or not doing enough or seeing the presence of a better Christian makes you insecure and, and, and somehow it's going to nullify what Jesus has done for you. But as we read earlier, your regeneration, your rebirth, your new life is not a product of the work you've done. It's a product of Jesus and us, us accepting his invitation, right? And him producing fruit 
through us that, listen, uncertainty will always lead to fear or faking it. But security will always lead to freedom and to intimacy with Jesus. In the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the down payment that we are secure, it's this guaranteed promise that if we have heard the gospel, if we have believed, I, I believe that, I trust in that, that's the story. I'm insane and I need the life that Christ offers. That's what I want to throw my life into. I believe that, that he gives us his spirit as a down payment, guaranteeing what's to come. Why does it need guaranteed? Because in our hearts, we are prone to wander, right? This is not a hopeless coupon in heaven is still valid when I get there situation, but this is the owner of the store giving you a stake in the company and saying, hold on to this. The spirit is gonna be holding on to you until I come back. You think about this, not all this, this our salvation, this moment of our salvation, that the spirit is one who ties all these things together. And I wanna end with, with this. One of the, the, the things that we see throughout scripture is this, this convicting of the spirit. That the spirit reminds us of what we need and who we are. I want you to think about this. Almost, this is almost the moment that leads up to the tying of the knot, so to say. John 16, Jesus, um, Jesus says this before he goes. He says, Never, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage, he's talking to the disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. He says concerning sin. That's the he looks at the world and the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin. Simply means this that the Holy Spirit shows our heart our need for Jesus' saving. The lie that we believe in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and that we believe today is that we can do this on our own that we can be our own God, we can be our own judge, we can define what is right and wrong for ourselves. This was the lie in the garden, this was the lie that we believe today. But it's the Spirit of God that, that shows us our sin. That we, If you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced this. That sin begins to sit in our heart differently. Listen, I'm not, I'm not that old. I'm 32, all right? Hair's working its way back. You know, the weight sits on a little different. And I, I'm a big sugar fan. I talk about gummy bears a lot. I love this stuff. In the last couple of years, it just sits on me different, right? I just can't eat a pound of gummy bears like I once could, right? It used to be the greatest thing. And now after a little handful of gummy bears, it just feels like it weighs on me a little different. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you may have, ex- you have experienced this, that that sin weighs on us different. That the things that used to bring us pleasure and happiness, when we used to throw our lives into, as time goes on, start to be exposed for idols and flimsy foundations. That it's the spirit convicting us of sin, and you start to feel that longing in your soul, right? The things that once felt novel and exciting start to be revealed as joyless, and we start to recognize our need. And for some of you, you're, you, 
you may be experiencing this. You're like, I never thought that I would go to church. I, I never really cared about this God stuff, but there's something inside of me that that is stir- that it's drawing me towards this. And I can't explain it. You may be experiencing that. I want to give you language for that. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you of your need for Jesus. That you are a sinner. That we all are sinners. And we cannot deal with it on our own. And it's the Spirit of God that convicts us that starts to turn our hearts towards our need for Jesus. The convicting of the Spirit isn't, sometimes we think it's just this wagging of the finger of God. It may be. He wants us to turn from sin. That sin leads to death. It's a cheap substitute for the wonderful things of God. It's the Spirit that draws us, that draws us to our, our need for Him, that draws us to the tying of the knot. Dan mentioned the hound of heaven last week, and it's this old poem, the hound of heaven, that God is chasing you down. The Spirit is chasing you down, and that if you if you don't know Jesus and you feel this draw, that sin starts to feel different, you start to feel this need for God, it's the Holy Spirit. And I would challenge you to lean in to what, to what you're experiencing in the Spirit. And for, and for some of you, and for some of you, it talks about concerning sin, talks about concerning righteousness. Now Dan's going to unpack this a lot more next week, but but we need to be reminded that sin is sin, especially in the world that we're in uh, today. But once we are in the family, once the knot is tied, once we are made new and the Spirit dwells within us and we're baptized into the family, we are sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit. As I walk in this life, the Holy Spirit, reminds me of who I am, convicts me of who God has made me to be, convicts me of my righteousness, reminds me of who God has made me to be. I have young boys and my son Camden, he's four, he's figuring it out, testing his limits and all this stuff. And and, and when I get frustrated, you know, the, the, the voice isn't, what are you doing, man? Who are you? What could you possibly? Now, sometimes that's what needs, that's what feels like wants to come out, right? But I look at him, I say, Kent, this is not who you are. This is not how we act. You, you are not, and I remind him of who he is. Once you think about the sound of the voice, Jesus says, my sheep will know me, they'll know the sound of my voice. And there is a different voice of accusation and a, and a reminder of who we are. Scripture tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He has the voice of accusation that when I sin, as a follower of Jesus, when I sin, the voice of the Spirit is not, you trash ball. You, and you can't pray to God. Not after you said that. Not after you looked at that. Not after you thought about that. Not after you harbored that hatred in your heart. You can't go to God. You better clean yourself up and then get to God. That's the voice of accusation saying, Ugh, you don't deserve Jesus. You don't deserve to call yourself a Christian. That's the voice of accusation. And that voice wants to keep us separated from the identity that has been purchased for us at the cross. Yet the convicting of righteousness, the Holy Spirit within us convicts us of what is true. That when I am in sin, it's the Spirit that says, this is not who you are. This is not what you have been called to. Don't miss me. The Spirit points out our sin. That's the weight that we feel, but it's not a, oh, you gotta, you gotta figure this out. 
It's that it's the Spirit drawing us back to Jesus. This is not who you are. Come back to Christ. Confess your sin. Be honest with your sin. And come to Jesus for healing. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have been made new. You have been sealed. This is not who you are. This is not how we live. Come back. It's the voice of our identity. It's the voice of the Good Shepherd. It's the voice of His Spirit convicting us of who Jesus has made us to be. That all these things happen in the moment of salvation. It ties the knot. And what the Spirit does in the life of the believer is points us back to the fact that that knot has been tied. Dan's going to unpack this for us next week. How the Spirit shows up specifically in the life of the believer. We're going to unpack this. But where, where are you today? If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you're watching this. You watched 40 minutes of this for some reason. If you made it this far, maybe you fast-forwarded. But if there's this pull in your heart, don't ignore it. It's the Spirit convicting us, showing us our need for sin, our need for Jesus, and calling us unto himself. If you're a follower of Jesus, I, I know this in my own life, and I believe this about us as followers of Jesus, that we, like everybody else, can become so misplaced in our identity insecure in our relationship with God. And so what we do is we try to find it in politics. We try to find it in entertainment. We try to find it in some worldview. We try to find it in a relationship. We try to find these things are found in Christ. In the Holy Spirit tying the knot in our life in all these ways reminds us, secures us, embeds these things in us in a spiritual sense that even we don't feel it, we know that it's true. That it's the security of the Spirit. And it's the identity that He gives us in Christ that holds us until, until He makes all things new. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we love you. We're thankful that you've given us your Spirit, that you have not left us alone, but you've given us your Spirit. And I pray that these spiritual realities about the tying of the knot, about what the Spirit has done for us as followers of Jesus, that that would go from knowledge into practice. That we would live in freedom and in confidence knowing that the Spirit has secured our relationship. It's not our works that keep us in, but it's the, the presence of the Spirit that holds us until you come back and make all things new. That Jesus, that we would see ourselves as, as Ubers of the Holy Spirit, that you, your presence dwells within us. And that we might honor you in light of this, that we have been purchased, bought into a family. That I don't, I don't just go to church with other people, but we are baptized by your spirit into the body. And no matter what our differences are, that we have common unity around you, Jesus. Help us to walk in the newness of life that you have purchased for us, that the Spirit has given us. We love you, Jesus. Show us what it means for these things to be true in our lives. It's because of Christ we pray. Amen.